We shall meet, but we shall miss him. There will be one vacant chair. We shall linger to caress him while we breathe our evening prayer. When a year ago we gathered, joy was. Welcome here. to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode, I read uh, about 100 pages of the works of great American writers while giving my thoughts, my comments, my reactions, and some historical context. Today, we're going to continue our look at the novels of Louisa May Alcott, in particular, the Little Women trilogy. We've just finished up Little Women, and now we're beginning the second novel in the trilogy called Little Men. Its full title is Little Men, Life at Plumfield with Joe's Boys. Plumfield, by the way, is a school uh, based on a set in the house that Joe Marsh inherited at the end of, of Little Women. In fact, if you read Little Women in the final chapter, it's revealed that she uses the school that she inherits as the foundation for a school. And they actually zoom through zip through a couple years of time in that final chapter showing how she sets up the school. So this is set a little bit in the future, four or five years into the future from um, the end of Little Women, and it shows this school up and running with with the whole kind of community. And so what you have there are the students. Those are Joe's boys. So Joe's boys and like the little men and the not the subsequent novel Joe's boys don't refer necessarily to her sons or to her, the children she's raising or with her husband because there's a couple that she sort of adopted and then there's the one she's had uh, with her husband. That's not it, Joe's boys is a broader meaning. It's it's the kids who go through her school. So she kind of takes ownership and they become part of her family over the course of these two novels. This novel has a lot to tell us about education. It has a lot to tell us about independence, I think. In, in many ways, Little Women is a story about individualization and how these four girls achieve in, uh, individualization. They all have their different characters and identities and different career paths, and, and that's kind of what's about. This novel, focusing on boys, is really much more about how they became independent and how they learned skills and and how they're going to make it in the world. Um, they're not going to face the same things that, that women face, and they have very different expectations of what's going to come of them, um, especially at this time in American history where there's pretty clearly defined gender roles. So here it's much more about uh, independence. And in this sense, it's a very much an American novel that has, I think, broad appeal. Not as many people obviously read it as they as read Little Women. Little Women has, of course, been filmed a lot more, a lot more people read it. It's much more popular. But Little Men, I think, has a lot to offer, too, as a novel. And I really enjoyed reading it for, for the first time for this podcast. So uh, Little Men was wrote, written and published in 19, 1871. She wrote it very quickly. Um, so the same year it was written, it was published. She wrote it to provide support for her nephews. Her brother-in-law died in the previous year, and she wanted to get some money and, and help support them both emotionally because the novel's about people like her nephew in a way um, and it's about and, and just for, for actual money it seems 
And the death of the brother-in-law is actually an important point in the novel. And Joe's brother-in-law actually does die by the end of the novel. As with Little Women, Alcott is drawing from her life. And often there's direct parallels. There's, there's kind of a one-to-one correlation with a lot of characters in, in these stories, especially in Little Women. But the, the same kind of characters p- carry on in these novels, although they have backseat roles. Pretty much all the major characters from Little Women are still here. But they're they're kind of set in the backdrop. But they st- some have important roles. Lori certainly has still an important role. Meg, uh, through her children, has an important role. Amy's there a little bit. Mister Bear, and of course Joe. All these are characters from Little Women that are still around. But there's a whole new set of characters in these young boys and a, f- and a few young girls who become part of the community of, of Plumfield and the community of this school, and they become part of the life of this town. And this more not just this, really less than a town. It's the it's the school. This is institution in its early forms. Um, so uh, Joe and Mrs. Mr. Bear, her husband, are running the school called Plumfield out of this large house. Um, the school has support from the neighbors, particularly the Lawrences. They're like the benefactors of the school, and they had a lot of money. And a theme in Little Women that we talked about in the previous episode uh, when we're looking at Little Women was. I think it was the last episode five on Little Women. And that one, a theme there is like the proper use of money. And it's predating the gospel of wealth stuff we get from Carnegie by a couple decades, or at least 15 years or so. But there's still this idea that, you know, what do you do for wealth? And the answer is it has it should be applied to some socially useful purpose. And this is actually done by the Lawrences in the sense that they basically prop up the school. It's not really clear how it makes much money because they actually they accept rich kids, but they also accept a lot of poor kids and kids who don't have much um, to, to, to offer. Plumfield is also the center of the community for the now extended March family. So you have. Well, the Marches were all girls and all three are married, so they're not Marshes anymore. They, they've given up their their maiden name, but they're all kind of still there. It, so it's almost like a matrilineal arrangement because everyone's sort of, sort of still sort of living nearby uh, the March family properties. But you have uh, the kids that Bear brings in to the family because he was taking care of a couple kids from his family. So kind of orphans. Joe has a couple kids. They're quite young, though. Then you have Meg's kids, Daisy and Demi, who are growing up quite rapidly. So without much reading of the novel, we can start to see see already that some of the major themes of this novel will be education. It'll be class, especially in the class dynamics between the children at the school and the paths they take into adulthood. And it's also about community formation and how communities are sustained over a period of time. In a way, one thing we want to think about in this novel, too, is this transition from the agrarian to to the modern and I didn't talk about it much with little women but I did talk about the coming and going and how people didn't spend a lot of time in their family estate and they didn't stay on the farm they they're going off and doing different things but with this comes the need to create new communities and that's what our characters begin to do here and Plumfield becomes the center of identity in the final two novels of the little women trilogy especially in Joe's Boys the final novel where you have these the me, the boys we learn meet in this uh, novel coming back as adults coming back to Plumfield and keeping Plumfield in their hearts and in their minds throughout their life so this school becomes more than just a place where they learned it became their the, kind of their foundation of their identity 
Now, as the name suggests, the novel is about the development of the young men, of, of young boys into men. Now, like the first part of Little Women, Little Men covers a pretty short period of time and it sets up the characters. Um, and I talked about in the very first episode on Little Women how, in a way, although this is three novels, it's sort of like two novels or four novels, depending on your count. The first part of Little Women is a short period of time and sets up the characters. The second part shows their transition into adulthood. Then you have Little Men, which sets up these boys, their characters, and it's only a six-month period of time. And then Joe's Boys covers a much broader period of time, um, but shows them growing up. So to see how these boys turn out, we're going to have to wait to the second part of the story, which is related in Joe's Boys, which is more like a 10 years later, kind of everyone comes back to visit and then they go their own separate ways. Now, the novel's titular characters are the students at Plumfield. Demi, the son of Meg, the children, Mrs. and Mrs. Bear are caring for as well. They are, however, important female characters, such, such as Daisy, Demi's sister, and uh, Joe's niece and Nan, who is a girl who's brought in to be educated with the boys. So who is at this school? And we should go through these, this list uh, of, who these, of who these characters are. Uh, one of the most important is Nat. In fact, he's our, our major character if we have one in this novel. It's, it's Nat Blake. He's 12 years old and he's a street musician. Uh, he's basically found by Lori, Mr. Lawrence now. And was it Mr. Lawrence or Lori who found him? I, I forget, but Anyways, he's found by the Lawrences, and they think, well, he'd be, do well at Plumfield, so he's brought there. Um, he brings a lot of the habits. He's a good kid, but he brings a lot of the habits of the street, particularly his kind of lyingness. And But he really does, he's well-liked despite that. And he has to kind of outgrow this. And this is contrasted with another character who enters the story a little bit later, and that's Dan, Dan Keene. He's a little bit older than Nat, um, but he's... Nat, Nat knew about him, and, and, and when he started having a good time at Plumfield, he brings in Dan. Dan, though, is much rougher, much more of the streets. He, he lies, but he also smokes, and I think he drinks a little bit, and he's violent, and he breaks most of the rules of the school, and he actually gets kicked out before he's finally settled in. And he's going to be a major character both in this novel and the next one, one of the most important. Um... Who else do we have here? Demi, uh, Demi Brooke and Daisy Brooke. These are our siblings, Meg's children. They're both 10 years old, they were twins. Demi is kind of mathematically inclined and kind of being an engineer, he's kind of bookish. Um, Daisy's big struggle in this book has a lot to do with the fact that the boys don't really play with her and how she fits in this community of boys. And she's very much attached to her brother, though. It's a very tight family. They're twins, of course. Then I'm tr I'm actually just looking at this list from, from Wikipedia. But I want to focus on the big ones first, the important ones. Um, okay, Nan. Nan Harding. It's a 10-year-old girl. And she's kind of like Joe is in Little Women. and She's a bit tomboyish. She runs... You know, she's pretty willful. Um, she's brought by Joe because Joe actually thinks that a, a, f a female presence will do a lot to help the boys and to kind of civilize them a little bit. Oh, and then Emil. Emil is one of the boys that Mr. Bear, Joe's husband, brings into the marriage. 
and he's kind of a sailor or he's going to become a sailor he likes he that's that's his career path um he's kind of like dan in that he likes to fight he has kind of the sailor um mentality is a bit grumpy at times um those are the main characters that we get and there's some other boys which i guess tommy is very important especially because he's a good friend with with nat and 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 demi and daisy um he's kind of a bit of a troublemaker too but he's friendly so he has a lot in common with nat in that you know he's a little rougher on the redges but basically a good person deep down who else there's a couple characters that don't get a lot of attention here in this novel but i think it's interesting that she includes them um like we have george who is he's a fat kid um doesn't like to exercise and but he's not really judged so much for that it's, it's not a thing so much that he's overweight like in a lot of a lot of stories would be like he'd be the the token he'd be like the fat kid or something but he's not really presented that way here so it's a little bit more of a sympathetic portrayal uh, although there's not much to work with analytically on that in the same way we have dick brown who is physically handicapped and we have a boy with a stutter dolly and we have perhaps most fascinating is Billy Ward, who, again, is, is a character that Alcott sets up but doesn't do much with. And in fact, she kills him off. I think she kills off both Dick and Billy um, before Joe's boys. And uh, it's kind of unfortunate that she did it because Billy was like a really smart kid when he was young. Like he started reading at a very young age, but he got pushed so hard he had like a nervous breakdown. And ever since then, like his development stopped and he's been kind of like stuck at six years old. And I've heard about people having this, like that kids would sometimes develop normally, but then when they reach a certain age, they start to have a mental relapse or decline. It's like a genetic disability that gets kind of triggered later on in a kid's life. And it seems Billy has something like that. Yet the school takes him in and tries to educate him and, and they try to do the best they can, even though they can't really work with him and he can't even like he can't even read basic words so i'm talking about these characters a little bit not because they have a major place in the story but because they're there and because it's one of the earliest examples of of a novel that i know of in american history that looks at children with disabilities and i thought so people who are interested in disability studies or want to look at a write a theme on disability it's a really fascinating topic and of course many writers deal with this now um, but to go back in history and to see a, a novel that takes disabled characters seriously and and tries to do something with them I think is pretty amazing for the time for 1870 but again Alcott doesn't really do much with these characters and there's some others I didn't mention here but the cast of characters is pretty large um, for instance we also have Joe's kids um, where they Teddy Teddy Bear and Robin Bear, they're, they're five and three. So they're, they're kind of just like the little kids around there, but they're part of the Plumfield community as well. So the cast of characters is large and readers will struggle to focus on all of them. It, it's a little bit easier in Little Women because you just have the four um, main, the girls, and that's all, and then Lori. And that's basically, if you just focus on those characters, you can get the themes out. There's a lot more characters here and it can be a bit overwhelming at times. But what I would just say is you need to focus on Nat Dan, Nan, Emil, Daisy, and Demi. Others are central to the tale, but Alcott, they're less central to the tale, but Alcott did take pains to create this diverse cast of characters, and I think that is to her credit. 
So with those introductions, we can get into the story, or at least the first hundred pages of it. I'll, I'll look at about seven chapters of it. And then the next two episodes, I'll look at seven chapters each, which will get us to the end of this relatively short novel. It's much shorter than, than Little Women. Okay, chapter one uh, is Nat. It's called Nat. So in this chapter, Nat comes to Plumfield. He was actually found by Lori, um, and who discovered him in need. And he sends this letter. Right. Here's a case after your own heart. This poor lad is an orphan now, sick in friendship, friendless. He's been a street musician. And I found him in a cellar, mourning for his dead father and his lost violin. I think there's something in him, and have a fancy that between us we may give this man a lift. You cure his overtasked body. Fritz, help his neglected mind. And when he's ready, I'll see if he's genius or only a boy with a talent, which may earn his bread for him. Give him a trial for the sake of your own boy, Teddy. And that, that's kind of, the way it's worded at the end is, is kind of interesting because the sake of your own boy, comma, and then he signs it Teddy. She named her boy Teddy after Lori, after uh, Theodore Lawrence, Lori. If you read Little Women, you know, she called him Teddy and it was kind of her special name for him, but everyone else called him Lori. Now, Nat will be a good fit to Plumfield. He, he fits the mission, which is to be open and to educate everyone regardless of their background. And he's a musician, and the band of the school needs a violin, and he plays the fiddle, and he was a street musician. So we learn much of how Jo sees her job at Plumfield. For her, it's really an extension of, of her family. She says, quote, My child, you have got a father and a mother now, but this is home. Don't think that these are sad times anymore, but we'll get well and happy, and be sure that you shall never suffer again and we can, if we can help it. This place is made for all sorts of boys to have a good time in and to learn how to help themselves and be useful men, I hope. You shall have as much music as you want, only you must get strong first. Now come to the nursery and have a bath and get to bed, and tomorrow we'll lay some nice little plants together. End quote. And there's a lot of richness in this. One is that she sees the educational path as something that's discussed between her and the student. Right? She says, we'll make our plans. It's not that I'm going to tell you what to do. She respects his, his wishes and his interests, which is music. She says, yeah, you got to get well again or get healthy. But, you know, if you want to be a musician, that's what we're going to work on for you. And then to see the, the educational environment as not a, not a prison or a factory or some of the ways education is nowadays, but rather as a family, as an extension of, of her family. And we learn about her educational pedagogy as well in this chapter. She doesn't believe in harsh rules. She doesn't believe children should only study. She wants to combine education with play. And she also wants to combine education with work. And so she encourages the students to, to have side businesses or have jobs or to buy and sell things or just to learn how to make it on their own. And this all comes back to the theme of independence. The part of what the boys learn at Plumfield is independence and how to be independent. There's other rules that, like, for instance, are allowed to have pillow fights um, for a little while every day. And there's not really, there's no violence in, in the school that, that's allowed. So we can talk a bit about Nat, since we'll be with him till the end of the novel, and in fact, till the end of Joe's Boys. He is talented and unrefined. He's very good, but naive about the workings of the world. He actually reminds me a bit of, of Laurie. You know, and I think there's parallels for a lot of these characters for others in there. Um, Lori, like, for instance, how Nan is very much like Joe. Lori lost both his parents, so he's an orphan. I don't know, he had a grandfather to raise him, but he was also an orphan. 
They're very different in terms of resources, though. Lori was still rich. He still had money and a lot more chances than Nat had. Both are a bit rough around the edges in terms of their education, though. Both have musical interests and both quickly are loved by the people around them and, and find it and are very sociable and very handy in social uh, situations. Um, so next we have the chapter called The Boys. And here, this chapter just goes through all the boys studying at Plumfield. In fact, if you, know, you could just go through here and get an idea of who's there. And all, they're pretty much all mentioned. We already kind of did this, so there's no need to go back through it. But, you know, I, I do think Billy Ward is does present a challenge here because the child, he can't learn, and he's in a story about a school, and he can't really work either. He's just mentally not capable of doing what the other boys can do. He can't even really play. And I think Alcott introduces this character with disabilities in a very interesting way, but I don't know if she really knew what to do with him and and he just becomes a side character and again i just think that's so unfortunate and maybe a missed opportunity and we, we can't expect alcott to be outside of her time obviously and there's not that many people writing about people with disabilities especially uh, these types of disabilities but it's there and i think anyone who wants to try to dig deeper into this question will, will i think find it a fruitful uh, place to study now, despite the, the main point of this chapter, though, is despite different backgrounds, these boys make a community and establish strong friendships. Quote, these were the boys who lived together as happily as 12 lads could, studying and playing, working and squabbling, fighting, fa fighting faults and cultivating virtues in the good old fashioned way. Boys at other schools probably learn more from books, but less than better wisdom, which makes men. Latin, Greek and mathematics were all very well, but in Professor Bear's opinion, self-knowledge, self-help, and self-control were more important, and he tries to teach them carefully. People shook their heads sometimes at the idea, even while they owned that the boys improved wonderfully in manners and morals. But then, as Miss Joe said to Nat, it was an odd school. End quote. So we, you know, and remember, Alcott's father wrote a book on education. I haven't read it, and maybe someone out there has read it and can comment on it. But it'd be really interesting to see how much of her father's ideas about education were filtered back into this novel. Our next chapter is Sunday. Um, so it's it's pretty much just, a, I think it's the same day or the same week that Nat came. So it, uh, the first few chapters are all around the same period of time. And it's really, well, it's Nat's first Sunday anyways. And the boys are supposed to go to church after their morning chores. Joe discusses the newcom with the newcomer Nat about the discipline and the rules of Plumfield. And um, rather than using violence, which is actually something that happened to Amy, if you remember back in Little Women, where they take her out of school because she's beaten by the teacher. She instead, Joe here in her school, uses uh, a kind of self-disciplinary method where she has a book. You know, she's got a book worth a page for each boy. And, and basically, if something bad happens, she sits down and talks with them about it and writes it in the book. And therefore, this book's like on the shelves and the boys are supposed to feel ashamed or honored by what's in them about them but no one else knows about it it's, it's kind of like their their human resource file or something that in a workplace right the boss knows and the worker knows but maybe no one else really is aware of all the detail in there it's a very moralistic view of child rearing and education and joe's focus and professor bear's focus is on self-cultivation but it doesn't rely on external discipline and it certainly doesn't rely on violence children are supposed to correct themselves out of the simple moral suasion and the fear of how others, particularly the people they respect and look up to, look at them. Now, Nat runs into one of his difficulties in that he lacks money. 
Each child has an animal at the school, but Nat has no money to buy one, and he has no benefactor who will buy one for him. So he wants to have a, a an animal because you know, there's like a there's like a garden and there's a farm. It's it's kind of it's a rural school. So Tommy suggests that he can help him collect eggs, which is how he's going to get his, which is how he gets his money. Right? They collect eggs from the chickens or whatever, and then sell them for a little bit of money, and. Again, like starting on this, this theme of independence and learning how the world works and getting ready to enter the world, these two boys form a corporation called T-Bangs or Tommy Bangs and Company, of which Nat is now part of. Tommy also then shows Nat his secret play place where Demi and Daisy often come. And then Mr. Bear tells Nat a story. and It's kind of a, a basic story, uh, very similar to to the parable of the sower if, from the Bible. This, you know, this idea that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, but it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of applied to education though. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read it. Once upon a time, there was a great and wise gardener who had the largest garden ever seen. A wonderful and lovely place it was, and he watched over it with his greatest skill and care and raised all manner of excellent and useful things. But weeds would grow even in this fine garden. Often the ground was bad and good seeds shown up would not spring up. He had many gardeners to help him. Some did their duties and earned the rich wages he gave them, and others neglected their parts and let it run to waste, which displeased him much. But he was very patient, and for thousands and thousands of years he worked and waited for his great harvest. This great gardener gave a dozen or so little plots to one of his servants and told him to do his best and see what he could raise. Now this servant was not rich, nor wise, nor very good, but he wanted to help because the gardener had been very kind to him in many ways so he gladly took the little plots and went to work there were all sorts and shapes and sizes and some were good soil and rather stony and all of them needed care for in the rich soil the weeds grew fast and the poor soil there were many stones and then one of the kids asked well what grew there and he says flowers even the roughest most neglected little bed had a bit of heart's ease or a spring of mingaret in it one had roses, sweet peas, and daisies in it. Another had all sorts of curious plants in it, bright pebbles, a vine that went climbing up like Jack's beanstalks, and many other good seeds just beginning to sprout. For you see, this bed had been taken care of by fine old men who had worked the gardens all their life. Um, now, a couple things happen when this story is being told. One is Nat is being taught the word allegory and, and that the story is an allegory. And then it's just a good window into the whole view of education, that each boys is each plot of land is like a boy or a student and they have their individuality and they're all going to develop in different ways now in the same chapter nad is revealed to be one of these more rougher on the edge kind of plots because he doesn't have a lot of background knowledge in fact he doesn't even seem to know about jesus and the other boys have to teach him about jesus it is sunday after all and uh, there's religious tasks for the kids to pursue Chapter four, stepping stones. So the next day, it's a Monday. Nat is very nervous about starting school because he knows he's too far behind and he won't be successful. Mr. Bear assures him that he is brilliant in his own way and that all children have weaknesses that need to be overcome. Overall, how, how, however, Nat is really entering into this Plumfield community very nicely. And we're reminded just how open and welcoming the school is. We learn that the school encourages all the members to pursue practical education and learn a craft alongside their school lessons. Mr. Bear at one point says, give a boy a trade and he is independent. So what does it take to be independent? This is a very important part of the story. Little Women was about women or girls becoming women and what it meant at a time when women's roles were in flux. 
This novel may be very much about what it means to be autonomous, and this will be especially clear in Joe's Boys. But this autonomy is challenged by things, and, and Alcott's not very sharp on these points. I, I don't know how aware she was of it or if she, wasn't, she was concerned about it, but things like the market or the expansion west or, or global capitalism, these are things that are going to affect these people as they grow up um, and get in the way of their independence and their autonomy. Now, Mr. Bear begins to notice one of the faults of Nat, which is that he tends to tell little lies and lie quite often. This likely comes from his personal experience on the streets in which he needed to tell lies in order to survive. But Mr. Bear gives him a personal story about his own struggles with fibbing. And we're reminded of something that Mrs. Marsh did in Little Women when the girls were angry at each other. And, and she confesses, I'm often angry. I'm angry all the time. Yeah, but it's about handling and managing that. And Mr. Berg is a very similar kind of personal lesson to, um, to Nat. So we're a good chunk into this novel, about a, a fifth of the way through already. And we have really only spent significant time with Nat. But this starts to change in the next chapter and we get a broader look at the, at the other characters and how, what they're like and how they develop. So chapter five is called Patty Pans. Daisy is upset that the boys do not want to play with her or don't let her play with them. And, you know, you can kind of think of the environment. She's the one girl in the group of boys. So even if they let her play, they kind of give her side roles or don't take her seriously. And at the same time, she's there's not any really, there's no girls around for her to play with. And she's very close to Demi. And she's tired of girl games, which she needs to play solo. Joe promises to make up a new play for her. Now, this isn't a theatrical, which is something that Joe very much liked. She does it in Little Women. It happens in Little Men and happens even again in Joe's Boys. But rather than it, it's instead of a, like a play, like a theatrical, it's, it's a new child's game or a play thing. So when she says, I'm going to create a play for you, it's, it's like a new game. That's what we would say now. Joe gives her a chance to learn cooking along with Aza, the cook at Plumfield. And that is what she eventually brings out for her. It's like a miniaturized or miniature kitchen set or something. That it's, it actually functions. So she can actually start to cook things. And so she's going to give give her this chance to cook along with Asia. Asia's the cook at the school. Daisy learns that she's a good cook and she wants to cook every day. And Joe tells her that they need to keep to the rules. So she can't only cook. She has to do other things as well. But she can indeed continue to work on her cooking. So in the same way, all the boys have to balance their personal and private passions and desires with their overall education and well-being and the needs of, of life at the school. The boys love her food too and give her a list of things that they want to see her cook for them in the future. So we have kind of a reuniting of friendship between the boys and, and Daisy. Now, of course, there's a bit of a of gendering here in which Daisy becomes the little cook. But it, I, I think we shouldn't look at it so shallowly though. Uh, Daisy overcame her isolation by doing her own things, by being good at them and attracting the admiration of others. I think that is Alcott's main point here with this chapter. Now Daisy at the end of the chapter talks about all her work as play. Now she's doing real work, but she's always talks, she talked in this chapter like I was playing or it was just a play. And I think here we got an interesting introduction to this concept of play versus work. What's the best way to learn something? You know, kids learn to walk 
by play. And if you ever watched a kid learn to walk, it's pretty clear that they're they're playing. And, and young kids, before they go to regular school, most of what they learn is through is a form of play. And that seems to be a much more effective way to learn things than than like homework. And there's plenty of studies to back that up. Um, but just as a you know, I think unschoolers and homeschoolers might find a lot to like in this novel as well because it does deal with some of these issues of of what's the best way to learn things. So chapter six, Firebrand. So Nat approaches in this chapter, Nat approaches Mr. Bear or Mrs. Bear, yeah, Joe, and tells her that he wants to see his friend Dan brought into Plumfield. Now Dan's a little bit older. They knew each other from the streets. Nat liked it so much at Plumfield that he actually wants to go out and help Dan the same way that he was helped out. Now, Dan, though, is a much rougher character than Nat, and he's prone to fighting and roughhousing and smoking and, and all these things. In fact, he's quite a destructive force at Plumfield. And Miss Joe and Mr. Bear both eventually lose their patience with him. Mr. Bear tries to talk to him about the free environment at Plumfield and says that and says that you can't really let this devolve into into anarchy. He says, as I never expected to have any at Plumfield, talking about rules, this was rules against bullfighting. So I never expected to have any at Plumfield. They never did make such a rule. But one of the first and most important of our few laws is the law of kindness to every dumb creature on the place. I want everyone and everything to be happy here, to love and trust and serve us as we all try to love and trust and serve them faithfully and willingly. I have often said that you are kinder to the animals than any of the boys, and Mrs. Bear liked that trait in you very much because she thought it showed a good heart. But you have disappointed us in that, and we are very sorry for for we hope to make you quite one of us. Shall we try again? And then he agrees to. But eventually Dan leaves, leaves Plumfield, and he has to be kicked out because of his bad behavior, he keeps failing at all the rules, and then he's gone, and then they get word back that he's disappeared. He's kind of run away from wherever he was. Um, now, Dan will come back, so don't worry. He's, um, but for now, he he's he's not being a he's not working his way into the Plumfield community the way Nat did. And then chapter seven, um, Naughty Nan. So in this in this chapter, Joe gets the idea of welcoming girls to the school partly as a companion for Daisy, which has already been established as a need in the earlier chapter. But it's also, she thinks, to tame the boys, she hopes. The girl they want to bring in is, is Annie Harding, or Nan. She's very free-spirited, like Joe was. She wants to be the equal of boys, and she doesn't see a gendered difference. She's really good for the school because she is a bit tomboyish, and her father has trouble managing her after her mother died. So the father kind of wants to get rid of her. Uh, and send her off to school. And the the boys, though, initially doubt that Nan has much to offer their play, but she quickly proves them wrong, and they end up liking her. So, quote, Little Nan was quick to feel the new atmosphere to enjoy it and show that it was what she needed, for this little garden was full of sweet flowers, half hidden by the weeds, and when hand, kind hands gently began to cultivate it, all sorts of green shoots sprung up, promising to blossom beautifully, in the warmth of love and care, the best climate for young hearts and souls all the world over. Right, so that that does it. That's the that's the first hundred pages of Little Men. We're already a third of the way through this this relatively short novel. Um, 
And it doesn't seem that that much happened, but actually we have a lot of themes that we can talk about. One certainly is diversity. We have a very diverse group of, of kids. Uh, there's not really racial diversity here, but there is diversity of backgrounds. There's rich kids and poor kids and troublemakers and you know kids with disabilities. So um, there's kids from different areas, urban and rural kids. So it's a really nice window into that. And, they, and we have people of different ages interacting in ways not always as teacher and student, right? Like the way they interact with Asia, for instance. I didn't say much about her, but Asia's the cook and they interact with her as well. So it's not all just this kind of top-down teacher-student relationship. Certainly independence is a big theme in this novel, is how to become an independent person and what does that take? And it takes skills, it takes self-reliance, it takes confidence, self-esteem, and self-actualization, at least according to Alcott. We have the theme here of work and play, right? And tied to that, I guess, is education and play. So let's throw those all together, work, play, and education, and how they all fit together. Is the best way to get an education through play or through work? Is the best way to learn a craft, to learn your job through play or through education? Like all the things these boys end up doing start out as play. Emil, who we'll learn more about later, wants to be a sailor, and he plays sailor. Nat wants to be a musician and he loves playing the fiddle. Dan eventually goes west and he is, he's a much more complex, interesting character, but um, is rooted on how they are as kids and their desires and the, their play that they do as kids. So another theme certainly is class and poverty, uh, uh, especially with the characters of Nat and, and Dan. Classes here interact in a pretty harmonious way. So it's not a novel of class conflict in the way a lot of things we looked at in this podcast have been, like Norris and Steinbeck and uh, Jack London. Those those writers were really doing a class conflict. But here, just the class, is, I guess it's part of the diversity uh, theme. So maybe it doesn't even deserve a separate one yet, at least. And then environment and upbringing. You know, what does what makes someone good? And th that gets to the heart of what this book's trying to say. Plumfield's a good place, so boys raised there will grow up good. The streets are kind of bad, and you end up with Dan, and, and you end up with the bad characteristics of, of, of Nat. So um, it's a good school. It's a good odd school, and that good environment is going to create good men. And, you know, they all have, they have, many of them have rough futures. If you read Joe's Boys, it's kind of striking that, you, you know, some characters go to jail and characters, you know, get lost at seeing things, but they never, they're in those positions partially out of their own, what they learn, the skills they learned at Plumfield. Well, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. So if you've read Little Women, but not Little Men, um, you know, why haven't you? Have you ever thought about reading it? If not, I, if you haven't, I encourage you to look it up. It's, it's a quick read. It's very delightful. It introduces some new and important themes. But I think this book, you know, still has much to teach us, um, especially on the questions of education, the best way to educate young people. You know, is like this kind of school, I don't know if it could succeed nowadays. I, I know you have magnet schools and charter schools where people can be a little bit freer in how they form curriculum, but certainly not in this kind of corporatized administrative education system we're so used to now. This kind of These kind of philosophies died out, but they're always there. I mean, especially among the unschooling and the homeschooling crowd, you have a lot of people who, you know, wanted, or de-schooling. I think it's Ivan Illich's book, De-schooling Society, or... Um, 
it's a book set in England. It's actually a, it's a nonfiction book about a school, Summer Hill. Um, there's a handful of other books, especially in the 70s and 80s, that played with this idea. Even if you're interested in the sexual revolution, sexual revolution there's a novel called The Herod Experiment, which kind of plays with this idea of, of setting up a different environment for education that will create different values over time. So anyways, what's going to happen to these girls and boys? Will Dan return? Well, I already told you he will, but um, will he return? This book only covers six months, this whole book, spring to Thanksgiving, basically. And, but a lot happens in the lives of these kids that we still need to learn about. So I'll be back very shortly with my review of the next 100 pages of Little Men, um, very shortly. Uh, but in the meantime, please, um, please give me your comments. You can write me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or just leave a comment right here on the website or on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Um, thank you so much uh, for, for listening, and I'll see you next time. But a golden cord is severed And our hopes in ruin lie We shall meet, but we shall miss him There will be one vacant chair we shall live